Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. We are 49ers web zone, No Huddle Podcast. I'm Al Sackle, along with Brian Reddick. And our guest today has been covering the NFL for 25 years. He is the secretary Ooh. and treasurer of the Pro Football Writers of America. He is an AP voter. He is a Hall of Fame selector, and you can currently find him on The Athletic. He is the one and only Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. Thanks for that introduction. I My first year as a beat reporter was 1998. I was covering the Seahawks. I believe the second year, after the second year, 99, I went down to Candlestick Park for the playoff game against the Packers because we got wind. The Seahawks might be hiring Mike Holmgren. And the Packers were playing oh. down there. I was actually standing on the sideline when Steve Young connected with Terrell Owens to win that game. Awesome. How one cool of the, was that? The great catch moments. Two. Yeah, the one the catch two right at the end of the game. Yeah. So it, I grew up in the Sacramento area, went to, you know, been oh. to Candlestick Park. I, I Candlestick Park in the 80s, you know. So uh have some history that way with the 49ers covering the Seahawks all those years, certainly. And uh yeah. we got another one this weekend. So glad to be here. Mike, I, I live. Oh, I, was say, I live in the Sacramento area. What high school did you go to? I went to Mariloma High School, class okay. of 1988. Cool. How about you? Uh, I was at Del Oro High School. Oh yeah, Del Oro. We played a. Yeah. Uh, I think Del Oro. Yeah, I don't know if we played a basketball tournament there or not. But yep. Yeah. What team? Yeah. What team did you grow up being a fan of, Mike? Well, really early on, 70s, I kind of was a Rams fan. I liked that 79 team that went to the Super Bowl, and then I kind of transitioned a little bit to to the Raiders by the time I got to the early 80s I was definitely Raiders and then all the way through uh in fact I had season tickets for a few years 95 96 97 and I was uh, then I got uh hired to cover the Seahawks which is funny they were in the division I was a diehard Raider fan and never could have imagined that uh I would stop being a fan but when I started covering you know your just whole orientation changes so I have great memories of the teams that I followed but I haven't been a Raiders fan since I left. So um, now I'm just a fan of, uh, you know, getting to do what I get to do. That's awesome. Like there's so much we want to ask you, but I, but I wanted to start with the hall of fame. Um, and in particular, Patrick Willis. And if you can kind of see yeah. behind my shoulder here, I got to go which way. You may have yeah. a Willis, Willis Jersey hanging up there. So I'm not yeah, a great player. Willis is my guy. Um, but, you know, I spoke with Clark judge a few years ago on the show and we kind of like, did a lot on the hall of fame. And he told me that one of the things he looks for is if the player dominated his position, his era, if he was one of the top one or two guys. And you look at Willis, he was a five-time first team all pro in seven full seasons. He was a seven-time pro bowler. He was defensive rookie of the year. What are your thoughts on his candidacy and his chances of getting in this year or maybe next year? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as far as this year, so we get five slots, right. For the 15 modern era. So really you then have to ask yourself, is there anyone who's just an automatic going to go in? Cause every, for every one of those, then there's one fewer slot, right? So I would say this mm-hmm. year, Joe Thomas, I would be very surprised if he didn't just skate right in. I probably think it'll be that way for uh, Darrell Revis as well. Mm-hmm. We never know. Sometimes there's surprises. I even thought last year, Demarcus Ware might be a first ballot guy. He wasn't. So I'm not saying any of that's set in stone. All of this has to be discussed. Weird things can happen. They can go in different directions. As I've said before, when you have 15 candidates and five slots, there's 3,000 unique combinations of five possible, right? So we don't know what it's going to be. But right. I would say there's probably, let's just say there's three spots available this year. Uh, is Patrick Wills going to be one of them? I got no freaking idea. 
Uh, I think he's going to go in the Hall of Fame, though. I do think he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. At some point, sure. Yeah. There's some wild card guys like uh, Devin Hester's a little bit of a different candidate uh, because, you know, the impact of special teams is a little different. You look at his total number of touchdowns, not that many, but every week he's one of the top two game plan considerations for every team they played, right? So that's a little bit of a hard one, right? I mean, is he going to go? He should go right in if we're talking about the best returners ever. He'd be first ballot, but that's a little bit of a weird one. I think the receiver thing is always fraught when you have multiple. There's there's three really good ones that have been in that room before. Is there a log jam broken? We're sort of where we were years ago when it was Chris Carter and uh, Andre Reed and Tim Brown. They were all going to get in, but they're sort of log jamming at the at the funnel, right? And I feel like that's where we've been with Andre Johnson, with Reggie Wayne, with Torrey Holt. They're all going in. Yeah but they can kind of siphon votes off each other. Cause when you get down to that final five, you may only pick one of them and I may pick yeah. one and you may pick one other, but one of them's going in. It's just when is it going to be this year? So that makes it really unpredictable, really good pass rushers with, with Dwight Freeney joining the mix with DeMarcus Ware, Jared Allen. Mm. I think there's good competition this year. I think this year is a stiffer field of competition. It feels like than it was last year. What does that mean for Patrick Willis? I don't know. He has to compete against Zach uh, Thomas, right? So there's two guys at a position. There could be, even if I, like, I would think that Patrick Willis would have more of the votes, but if 25% of people like Zach Thomas better, that complicates the ability of Willis to make it in in any given year in a competitive field, right? It doesn't mean that people don't, it doesn't mean that three-fourths of the voters don't think he's a Hall of Famer. They might. But there's all these different combinations that make it really, really hard uh, to predict. Do, and then, do, um, sorry, sorry, Brad, I, I was just going to ask if his longevity hurts him at all. Um, I, I think it would probably be better for him if he had three more years, you know, and had the 10 years. I don't think it's so abbreviated that it's a huge hurdle. I think it's a little like like when you're when you're doing something like this, that's so difficult with so many great players, you, you do sometimes with each one, you want to see the car in the, in the light to see where the Nick, the Nick is right in the paint. You're looking for Nicks and paints on Ferraris. That's what we're doing, right? There, there's a bunch of Ferraris here and they're all great. And you'd love to own any of them, but you can only pick five. So you go around and you're like, yeah, only seven years, you know, or whatever. You, you try to find the one thing because you have to justify in your mind how you're going to leave somebody off in this field, even if you think they're a Hall of Famer. So it's probably the one thing that, uh, you know, could be a little better, but I don't think it's a big, I don't think it's a deal breaker for people. I do have to ask, I guess one more name that would pop in my head is what do you think the issue was with Roger Craig? that gave people pause. Yeah, that's a great, so Roger Craig breaks the mold a little bit of running backs. I think that uh, for most of the running backs that get in the hall of fame, there's a certain spot they are in the all time rushing list. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're, when you're talking about candidates that are a little bit different, you have to be especially skilled in how you uh, talk about them. And I'm not, look, I don't even I don't, I'm not saying it wasn't a skilled presentation on Roger Craig. That's not at all. It takes mm-hmm. it, put it this way. It takes probably the membership or the, whatever the selector panel um, longer to probably be able to, to conceive of where they, of where they are in the mix. Right. If you're the, if you retired as the all time rushing leader, that's pretty easy. When Emmett Smith got in, the person just said Emmett Smith and sat down, right? <laughs> they said Emmett Smith had more carries for more yards and more touchdowns than anyone. Any questions? So with Roger Craig, you really have to contextualize uh, that. And so that's one of the things that I did uh, this last off season going into the year was I tried to come up with a way to properly evaluate the running backs and take into account what they did catching the ball. I took the top 100 leaders in all-time rushing because I thought it was important that you at least be one of the best rushers of all time. And that was a way to do it. But then what I did for those players was I took where they kind of basically ranked in scrimmage yards in their, I think their six best seasons. I did this something similar for wide receivers who made it eight seasons. I made it six for running backs after looking at how long they actually play, right? There's a, there's a smaller number window. And in that Roger Craig came out really good. 
Um, I think believe he was in the top 20 of all of all the guys. What makes a, a running back a Hall of Famer? Because Ricky is another great player, right? Who yeah. also yeah, is a great all around player. Uh, but then, you know, sort of had a, I think, an unfair reputation as a player. He, was, he could be a little bit of a, uh, you know, hothead's probably a pejorative term, but he was emotional. And sometimes Ricky would just kind of lose it, you know, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And he had the for who, for what game. And people perceived him as a selfish player. This guy was not a selfish player. God, he's so good. Laid it all on the line. Great player. <laughs> I mean, he he's the type of guy you want in your team to, to just sort of like in the old parlance of you want to go to battle with or whatever. He's all in, right? Completely um, an all-in player. So when I did the scrimmage yards percentile, okay, uh, Jim Brown was number one. He actually led the league six times in scrimmage yards. So he's he gets a 1.00, right? Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson, Thurman Thomas was next. Marshall Falk was next because those guys had that scrimmage yards. That's what I wanted to take into account. Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson, Emmett Smith, O.J. Simpson were the top ten, Okay. LaShawn McCoy, Tiki Barber, Curtis Martin, Ricky Waters, Tony Dorsett, Clinton Portis, Edron James, Marcus Allen, Matt Forte, Otis Anderson was 20, and Roger Craig was 21. All right. Otis so, Anderson. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you wouldn't think of Otis Anderson, you know, as much. People wouldn't nowadays. Otis Anderson with two T's. Look him up on YouTube. Second of a player. <laughs> but uh, the issue, the thing that knocked down Craig from being even higher was that he had about five great years of that. So he had five. His sixth year drags him down. Mm. Like all of the guys in about the top 17 are pretty darn good through six years by this measure. So mm. if we just did a five-year window, for uh, uh, Roger Craig is bumping up probably. His sixth year kind of dragged him down. So that's how I did it. I think he's definitely in the mix. Joe Perry was a few spots lower than that. Uh, at, you know, Another 49ers all-time great. But um, certainly he's in the mix, Craig is. Awesome. Mike, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you are, uh, or at least we like to think that you are the king of the QB tiers. Um, and you know, I listen every year you have that uh, episode with Robert Mays on the athletic football show where you guys go over those tiers. And, uh, we want to look at the, at the playoffs and, and just kind of, can you talk a little bit about, uh, what Brock Purdy has, uh, to explode on the scene and, and, and where you think he ranks, uh, as far as the QBs, at least in the NFC side, because obviously the AFC, you know, you've got some heavy hitters, uh, yeah. at, at least in those top four. Uh, as far as Brock Purdy, I just finished uh, recording uh, the Football GM podcast with Randy Mueller uh, that I do every week on the Athletic Football Show feed. And Randy has looked, looked at all the film on all of these young quarterbacks that are in the um, that are in the playoffs from from Brock Purdy to Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence. Daniel Jones, even Skyder Thompson is in there. Uh, and the, the thing that Randy really noticed about uh, Brock Purdy was that uh, Kyle Shannon has not changed the offense for him. That's really right. the test uh, when you talk about quarterbacks, right? Every quarterback sort of either limits you or expands you in what you can do, right? And in the big picture conversation of Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers kind of wanted to expand it a little more, right? Because they, they, they thought it's good, but hey, could we get could we even have another gear? But with Purdy coming in, uh, it doesn't look like we've seen Shanahan have to really limit what he wants to do. And then we also haven't seen him kind of melt down or have the situations. That was, uh, I thought, a great point that Randy made when we were talking was like late in the down. He doesn't ha he hasn't had those kind of Garoppolo moments because Jimmy has had some of those sometimes where he makes the boneheaded play oh, yeah. under you know under duress or whatever, and you're like, oh. That's the one play he couldn't make. And even in some of those games in the past against Seattle, he made those, right? Where you're like, oh, they're going to beat Seattle. And then we had this one interception in the third quarter. It was the one bad ball, the one the one you couldn't make. So Purdy hasn't been pressed to that point yet. And look, he's not going to be uh, 100 and 0 as a starter in his career. It's coming, <laughs> right? You're going to have an off game and we shouldn't overreact when it comes. But so far, he really hasn't shown the cracks you know 11 touchdowns two interceptions in his starts 8.9 yards per attempt 109 pass rating 20 percent of his pass attempts are explosive gains which is a really high if you're around that if you're on 20 percent for a season you're going to be that's can be mvps can be in that in that range so you know i wish i could say uh well i don't wish i could say i mean i, I thought i would be able to say that there's some limiting fatal flaw um you know, but, but I just, 
I don't know that anyone's seen that. It looks pretty good. It's pretty seamless. I appreciate hearing you say that, Mike, because I'm on the same page. We said it earlier when we were recording a little bit ago. I've seen anything where, you know, people say, well, just wait. Like they're talking about Pete Carroll gets to see Brock Purdy for the second time. And in my head, I'm like, yeah. why does that matter? He's not doing yeah. anything that yeah. you can be like, if we take this away, then 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 we'll be good. Right. He's yeah. If you take the yeah, middle, I'll, he'll yeah. take the outside. You know, it's it's yeah. It's I'll been say impressive. this though. I'll say this though. Like about four or five games into the season on Geno Smith, I was asked these questions, and I, and my answer was, you know, I'm not seeing anything that makes us look like a fluke. Like he, mm -hmm. he's accurate, he's poised in the pocket. But the one thing I did say was, you know, over the course of a 17 game season, it's harder. You know, this is somebody who's sure. been a backup, and to do this to let people really get a lot of film on you, it doesn't mean that you're flawed or you're not a good player. It just does get a little bit harder over time. The, the more exposures, the more, okay, let's all look at Purdy. You know, all right, you, we got our whole staff looks at him. Playoff game, Seattle knew that if they, got, if they won this game, so maybe they've really dug into Purdy to a level that you didn't do in week 12, right, when you're coming off. Maybe they looked at all of his college tape again. Maybe they just have a couple of things that, that they think they can see now that uh, – leads to an interception in the third quarter, right? That that just happens to everybody. It's happened to Geno Smith. Yeah. It's looked a little harder for Geno as the season's gone. This doesn't mean he's done mm -hmm. bad. It's just, you know, that would probably be the thing that you're just not always going to average 8.9 yards per tenth and have 11 to two touchdown interception. That's for nobody. Nobody's going to have that. So the, the evening out is coming sometime. It doesn't mean he's bad, but it could come. Right. Maybe not this week, but maybe it's next week, right? It's going to happen sometime. Mike, the Niners started this year, and it was a little frustrating because they had trouble scoring consistently. Over their first 11 games, they scored 249 points, 22.6 per. And then in the last six games, um, they scored 201 points, 33.5 per, and they scored 23 offensive touchdowns in the last six games after just 27 in the first yeah. 11. So we know Purdy's been a difference when he's come in and done the quarterback position, but the addition of Christian McCaffrey has been oh, yeah. so much to this team because in the offense has, has run through him. What is it that he does that has just made everything gel for the Niners so well? To me, what he did was make it not be a critical issue when Debo Samuel went out of the lineup. That is the huge thing. It really gave them another pitch, kind of, kind of like a pitcher, right? Sometimes uh, how many pitches you have really can matter, right? If one of your pitchers gets taken away or you're going against somebody, uh, just to use that a bit of analogy, and I think that this just gave them a level of depth with another elite player. It's not like you're just plugging in anybody. This is a unique running back in the league. There's nobody really like him, right? He can catch a five-yard pass and go 85 yards. He can run a option route. He, he can run a route in the red zone and, and, and beat you. Uh, you know, beat, he can beat, play, run wide receiver routes. So he's a... He's a Swiss Army knife unique, unique player. He's kind of like a Marshall Falk being added to your team. So, you know, when if people would ask, hey, what's the difference of adding Marshall Falk? Well, he's a Hall of Famer. That's what Christian McCaffrey, if, if he can have that kind of longevity in play, he's a Hall of Fame type of talent. So that's what he adds. But I think for this offense that uses, you know, receivers as running backs, running backs as receivers, is moving people around and asking things, them to do, you know, exploiting their versatility – it's a huge protection against Debo to me. I think the losing Debo Samuel could have been a really big deal to this team. And instead it let him explore Christian McCaffrey, who's better in some ways, right. Can do things, some of those things even better. So that's what it is. It was a great pickup, a really good pickup for this team. Is Scott Fitterer persona non grata in the NFC now? Cause he traded Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers. <laughs> I really hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I really hadn't thought of that. Yeah. No, that, that uh, it was a, it's interesting because th think of this. The Rams ran on that. Would would uh, Sean McVay be waffling on possibly stepping away from the game if they got Christian McCaffrey? This sounds like a good note for my column. I'm going to write this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, we're here to help. Yeah. Here that's to help. right. Uh, that's right. No one's, uh, yeah, you know, no, uh, that's a good idea. I think that's <laughs> sliding an, doors. That's, sliding a, that's, doors. A, that's a what if sort of a thing, right? Yeah. What if the Rams gotten him and the 49ers didn't and the 49ers le lose Debo and then let's just say Purdy's three and two. I don't know if it would be that dramatic of a difference. I'm just making it I up. I think it would. Yeah, what if, what if they were three and yeah. two and he has 
six touchdown passes with five interceptions. And now we're saying, Hey, do you think they can get Jimmy back? Right. Isn't that weird? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that, yeah. that that may be unfair to Brock Purdy and the rest of the team. Cause uh, uh, but, but I think when you add that type of a player to it tells your locker room, what you're doing. Hey, we're, we're all in, we're doing this. We're going for and it. So when you yeah. lose Jimmy and everyone had tears in their eyes the next day, you know, they, they, uh, they had some other stuff. Mike, as a as a as a now a Seattle resident, right? You grew up in the Sacramento area. Yeah, I live in, in the yeah, Seattle yeah. area. Uh, do you have a pulse on or, or a read on uh, how the Seahawks fan base is uh, is feeling about this matchup? Well, I don't think they're feeling really good about it. You know, I, I don't know how you could. I, I think Seattle has had a successful season already based on what they did, trading Russell Wilson to have him not play well, and then you have a winning record. I said this season would be a success if they just beat their over their Vegas total, which was five and a half wins or something. But yeah. to have a winning record was like a Sunday. And then cherry on top is make the playoffs on top of it. I mean, that just lets this may get Pete Carroll into the hall of fame eventually, you know, that, that if, if he can have yeah. a second act here and to have won that trade, we'll see maybe Russell Wilson comes back and leaves them. But you know, this is a pretty awesome thing that has happened. They're just not, equipped to deal with the 49ers uh they're, they're not good enough and i think that's been apparent in both games the first game probably you know i think seattle was being a little more conservative because they didn't know what they had in geno smith a little bit they, i think they got a little more aggressive after that but even in the second game it was 21 to 13 it felt like it was 41 to 13 i don't know how didn't it just feel like they yeah, were choking them out, but somehow the score was close, you know? And so th there is that chance that Pete Carroll plays that type of game. You know, Seattle has had some success at times on special teams, right, against the 49ers. So I do think there's a chance that, uh, you know, Seattle keeps it closer. But we, when I did the picks on our Football GM podcast, I, I took the 49ers and gave the points. I, I just feel like Seattle's a little bit on fumes coming in. Uh, at this stage, and I'd be pretty surprised if they, uh, you know, had the upper hand. Mike, what's your final four prediction? AFC, NFC championship games. Ah, oh, that's a great one. Well, I guess I should have uh, had that had that in front of me, but I'm going to look at the <laughs> I'm going to look at this thing. I I really do like Cincinnati. I, I think too. Cincinnati I think with yeah. Burrow and Chase, and then I think their defense is good. I think it's well schemed. I think they've got some pass rushers. Uh, they're a team Big that I really. Yeah, I, exactly. Lou Anarumo's done a great job there. That was a hire yeah. that at the time people weren't like, oh, they got Lou Anarumo. And he's just proved at every turn mm -hmm. um, that he's been excellent. So uh, in the NFC, I like the 49ers. Uh, I do. I, I, you know, we'll see if Philly can pull it all together. But I just like I like San Francisco all the way through and, and, and sort of it doesn't feel like the health is a little better for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they're going in the right direction. Knock on wood because this weekend, you know, they don't need to yeah. lose three guys. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I feel really good about them and, and I feel better about them than anyone in the NFC. So, um, 100%. Yeah. I feel good about that with, you know, I think Philly, we'll see. I think if Jalen Hurts were to come back and just look great, which was a little shaky the last game, but I don't know. I think they're so reliant on him where I think the 49ers don't feel as reliant on their quarterback, uh, yeah. uh to me. In the AFC, I, I do, I do think I like Cincinnati uh, uh, to to come out of there. Um, you know, Buffalo's obviously going to be riding a wave of of emotion, but mm -hmm. um, you know, I think losing Von Miller is a big deal for them. Yeah, I think that yeah. was a that it was their a... McCaffrey edition. Yeah, if they had him, I'd feel a little bit better about it. But I don't know. I think that could hurt them. Uh, I all. Before the season, I think I picked Kansas City in the Super Bowl because I trust I trust Reed and Mahomes as a great tandem, even without Tyreek Hill. Their defense has been a little better lately, so I am not ruling them out. Um, I, I do like Kansas City, but they've had a few hiccups on their special teams. I think their defense is okay, but you know, not a driving force. I think Cincinnati feels a little bit more complete, more complete a little bit more complete and i i love the edge that they've got like burrow's got this edge to him i love the burrow thing where they're asking about the window championship window like, it's as long as i'm here yeah like there's not I a like lot of guys who could pull that off yeah. like 
I just like them. You know, I just kind of like where they're at. And I, I thought they were going to maybe fall off this year as the Super Bowl loser. I wasn't all in and still am not really on, on their offensive line changes. Burrow's taking a lot of sacks. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not running the bank with it. That's just kind of the team that I have my eye on. Like and Mike, be- before we let before we let you go, I do I do want to tell you that I that we're talking face to face here. So but I started doing this. I don't know, eight or nine years ago, maybe when I first started writing, I reached out to, I don't know how many writers for advice uh-huh. and Hey, uh-huh. how do I get started? What do I do? Two people got back to me. It was you and Pete Prisco. And I always wanted to thank you face to face for that. It was awesome. It was a huge help when I got started and we've talked here and there, you know, ever since then. Um, but I thought our listeners, uh-huh. you know, should know that about you that I, I've always really appreciated that. Well, I appreciate Yeah, You know, as, as painful and damaging it is to be lumped in with Prisco. I mean, that is a tough <laughs> thing to be lumped in with Pete. I'm saying that because I know Pete Prisco. Um, that's great. I am glad I replied. I, I, how did you reach out to me? Because I'm looking in my email. I don't have one from way back. I think I, think I Facebooked you, if I remember right. Like, oh, I probably, used to yeah. follow you on Facebook, and I sent you a message like, this guy's going to think I'm a lunatic. And you got back to me, and we had kind of, you know, here and there, you know, well, catch up or whatever and like you've been helpful to me over the years and i, I appreciate oh that, that is awesome. not a lot of people would just do that you know i was a total rando you know what i mean so yeah that is great in fact that just makes me want to look i'm gonna look and just see yeah it was I, years i mean it might have been 10 years ago nine yeah, years ago yeah. however long back was, then but... i was covering nc west uh for espn yep. yeah and, yeah, and, ESPN, yeah, yeah. And, I, and i at that time i i think my yeah we we were putting stuff on facebook and trying to you know uh expand the audience and all that and i've always enjoyed that i when i was doing especially when i was doing kind of a blog type of stuff like we were doing then at the nfc west or before that seahawks i really loved that instant feedback and interaction so I'm glad i got back to you and and glad you're doing what you're doing i really enjoyed the discussion uh this was a great discussion it's one of the better ones i've had so really appreciate you having me on appreciate it mike uh, thank you so much it's it's been an honor mike thank you so much hey thanks appreciate it enjoy the game this weekend you thank too, you we care. will have a good one okay all right. Thank you to Mike Sando for his time. That was awesome. Love talking Hall of Fame with a Hall of Fame voter. And so we're going to shift gears and uh, and preview this game uh, on Saturday. It is the third time the 49ers have faced the Seahawks this season. And there are plenty of 49er fans who are worried. And I am not one of them. I think that the 49ers are absolutely going to kick the shit out of the Seahawks on Saturday. That is what I believe. That is what I'm sticking with. Uh, Zane, I'm going to give it to you, man, because I know that you are, you are a little bit, uh, a little bit concerned. So uh, let's, let's start there. What are your concerns? Call it scars from the past. Call it a lot of emotional damage that's happened at the hands of Seattle. Call it whatever you want, but I just, they're Pete Carroll coach team and Pete Carroll gets his guys up to play specifically against the 49ers. Right. And we know every time they play, even in the regular season, it's going to be a dogfight. over this, this last great winning streak that they've had that will continue by the way, a spoiler, it's going to continue. The lowest point output has been against Seattle in Seattle. Now I know it was on a short week and I know that Brock was hurt and I know that they should have had a pick six that was taken off the board. But that being said, the Seahawks have played them arguably the toughest. You could say the Raiders did, but after that, the Seahawks played them the toughest. It wasn't a game that was really ever in doubt. So I, I do want to say it's on a curve, but Pete Carroll gets his guys up to play. And the whole statistic of it's been floating around on Twitter all day today, where the home team is what 12 and six uh, when they've swept the season series. And then the home game is in uh, the playoffs is, is, is played at home for that team that swept. They are 12 and six. So history is on the 49ers side. But I, I, every time the 49ers play Seattle, some dumb shit happens where you have a weird bounce, poor officiating, just lucky breaks going Seattle. They injured, Trey got injured against the Seahawks, right? Like just stupid stuff happens when you play this team. It more so happens more so in Seattle, but at least this one's here. It's raining on the weekend. It's going to be a monsoon. That's going to be an equalizer. Like if this was played on a dry field, yeah, the 49ers are going to, they're going to win. But there's so much stuff that we've seen in the past from Pete Carroll and the Seahawks to make us feel, I guess, in doubt about this game. There's, there's too much that I've seen in the past. So do I think they're going to win? Yeah, obviously. Right. But do I think it's going to be closer than it should be? Yes. Is the rain going to be that bad? As I say, I I was going to say somebody posted, somebody posted today that the current weather outlook for Saturday 
is 0.6 inches of rain and most of that coming in the morning before noon and the and the rain currently is scheduled to trail off by about 12 p.m. and kickoff is 1:30. So I I that is my one concern. I will say that. That is my one concern, but it does look like it might not be as bad as we initially thought. But obviously weather is you know, capricious and can change in an instant. So, uh, that I, I agree with you there, Zane. That is, that is my one concern. Yeah. That would worry me just because of the fluky aspect of that. You can get a fumble. They could get up quick because of that, that, that worries me a little bit. I think if it's on a level playing field, I, I think I agree with Ryan. I think the Niners are in pretty good shape here. I think the Niners are rolling. If you look at the Seahawks season, have they played better than everybody expected? Absolutely. I thought they were going to win like four games this year and they deserve a ton of credit. Pete Carroll deserves a ton of credit. Geno Smith deserves a ton of credit for resurrecting his career. Um, I like Kenneth Walker a lot. They drafted some really good rookies along the way. But when I look at the, who the Seahawks have beat this year, I mean, four of their nine wins were against the Rams and the Cardinals, right? That's four and nine. They beat the Broncos in week one on a game where the Broncos, how many times they fumble in the end zone? Three, two. Oh my goodness. They beat a Lions team that wasn't the Lions team we saw at the end of the season. They beat the Cardinals. They beat a really beat up Chargers team. They beat the Giants, who are a playoff team. Uh, they beat the Cardinals again. And then they lost to the Bucks in week 10. And that's when the wheels started to come off. They lost to the Bucks. They lost to the Raiders. Then they beat the Rams, lost to the Panthers, lost to the Niners, lost to the Chiefs. Beat a Jets team with no offense whatsoever, and then beat a Rams against Baker Mayfield. So it's not barely. like it, barely. Mm. This last part of the season, they have not been good. They're, they finished the season three and five, and, and they have not looked very good. They look very ordinary. And the game on a Thursday night, it was yeah, it was closer. The Niners only scored twenty one, and the Seahawks came back at the end, and it was maybe closer than it should have been. But it was very much a Thursday night game. Like the Niners were the road team, and I feel like they played like they were playing on a Thursday. And not that that's an excuse, you still got to play the game, but I really felt that way. So I feel confident in this game. The Seahawks have only scored 13 offensive points against the Niners in two games. Geno's pretty much, you know, it's not like he's super mobile out there. So I think they're going to be able to get their pressure. And I think they're going to be able to stop Walker and then force Geno to, to throw the ball. And he threw some really bad picks and almost picks against the Rams in this last week in a big game that they needed. I thought he he made, he made some pretty poor throws in that game. So if he does that against the Niners, it's, it's not going to be good. I really feel very confident in this game, assuming there's not a monsoon or something like that, that I think the Niners are going to win this pretty easily. Yeah. I think that, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I think that what they can't do is get down early. Like they have against the Raiders and the Cardinals. Like you can't, you can't give up that early, early cheap touchdown on, on like a fluke play or like a kick return or a, you know, whatever it may be, you can't get down early. Now, that's not to say that they can't come back from that. But look, I want this as easy as possible, right? I want to blow out, right? I don't want stress in the first week. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking about it today before we did the show. And this this could be the last season of the show that we do. It's not going to be, but it could be, right? And I'm not ready for this mm-hmm. to end. I'm not ready for the season to end. And I don't think it will. Like this, everything logically tells me that the Niners, they're better in every facet, right? This is not like the Rams last year where they swept them and they played them. The the Niners and Rams were much more evenly matched than they seemed last year, even though the Niners swept them during the season. These teams are complete polar opposites with the, with the exception being that they both have pretty good running games, right? Seattle's top 10 Niners have, have are are top five. But that being said, the the Seahawks defense is atrocious against the run. They're terrible. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be – the Niners have their entire stable of running backs back. Eli Mitchell was fantastic last week. Christian McCaffrey is all-world. You've got Jordan Mason, who's been fantastic as well, and his, his spot duty, the closer. And you've got uh, – you, you, you've really got like Juice Check as well out there too. So this is going to be – I think it'll be a completely different game when they play it. Just leading up to it, the anxiety and the, the anticipation is really just – I feel like it's getting the best of me, really. Yeah, I was going to say – you know, we're talking about a, a Seahawks team that in week 18 at home against the Baker Mayfield led Rams who didn't have Aaron Donald had to go to overtime to beat that team. Like they're not playing good football. They're playing okay football. And you're right. Both teams have good running games. Seattle top 10, 49ers top five. The, and as you said, the difference being the 49ers have the best run defense in the NFL. So that neutralizes what Seattle does best. And 
you know, for, for all the, you know, the, the, the pearl clutching of, you know, Brock Purdy's never played in the playoffs. You know how many snaps Geno Smith has played in the playoffs as a starting quarterback? Zero, zero. Right. So Geno Smith is in the same, is in the same boat and he's going against a much more difficult defense than Brock Purdy is. And so again, that game on Thursday night, the 49ers played like it was a Thursday night game. And, and I said this last episode, and that game never felt like the, the Seahawks had any chance of, of, of a victory. And I understand what the final score was. It still never felt like it was in doubt. And then in week two, was it 27 to seven? And that seven was a special teams touchdown. Mm-hmm. So the one, the one area that Seattle has a, an advantage in against San Francisco is special teams. So that is where I would expect to see some kind of trickery, right? Some kind of Pete Carroll, you know, gum chomping bullshit on special teams. <laughs> that is, that is what I expect. Gum or, chomping bullshit. Yeah. Can we get that. That? I mean, I love that. <laughs> outside Just... of that, I'm not scared at all. I'm not scared at all. I have zero <laughs> fear. I have full confidence. It's just I'm 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 ready for I'm ready for next week. Yeah, editors, can we clip that and put that post that please when it's when this is done? That's fantastic. That's so gum good. Chom- I love it. Pete <laughs> Carroll is gum chopping bullshit. So Absolutely remember remember the game last year uh, where they played in Seattle and the Niners were dominating that game too, and it flipped on a on yeah. a fake punt, a seventy five yeah. yard fake punt for a touchdown, and that's where that game flipped. So. Yeah. The thing is that you cannot let them hang around. You cannot let Seattle hang around. They will pester you. They, the, the, the thing that I'm worried about here is the Niners defense in the last couple of weeks has been giving up big plays, although it's only really one big play last week against, against the Cardinals, but they've been giving up some big plays and Lenore, Lenore has been, he's been okay, but he's had, he, he had a shaky time against the Raiders. He's really shaky. And you've got two big play receivers and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, right? Although Lockett, you could argue is not what he once was. But you got two big big play receivers there, and I'm I'm I can almost guarantee you that they're going to be going after Demo all day because Mooney is is locked down on the other side, and they'll be hoping that Hafunga is over aggressive and bites on that. So to counteract that, maybe you you Hafunga has been playing a lot of the box lately because Greenlaw has been hurt and they need that extra body there. But Greenlaw is coming back, right? He's gonna he's gonna play. So maybe that'll allow Hafunga to stay back a little bit more and and play his natural position a little bit more. So I don't know. That's that's those are some of the things that are kind of concerning me. So I was looking at the Seahawks run defense. They've given up 144 yards or more on the ground 11 times this season. They've given up over 200 yards three times. The Panthers wow. ran for 223. The Saints ran for 235. And the Raiders ran for 283 on them. So they definitely have struggled against the run. And yeah, that's just insane. And you know Shanahan's going to take full advantage of that against the saints because i'm kind of like how the hell did the saints put that up on them camara ran for bucko 103 and Taysom hill ran for 112 yards on them with a 60 <laughs> yard run so they've definitely struggled in that regard and I, I think kyle is going to be able to exploit that and i think maybe i'll be wrong here but the, this was the first game really in week 18 that i think gino really played a must-win game in his career. That was probably the guard, the biggest game of his career. He wins. And then with the green Bay loss, they were in the playoffs. He made a lot of really bad throws. He forced a lot of balls. And I, I expect kind of the same thing in this game. Like it's, it's, it's the biggest game of his career. He's facing this defense that takes the ball away. That puts pressure on the quarterback. I think he's going to struggle. I do. And I think Shanahan is going to take full um, advantage of that defense and as long as they're not in a monsoon where they can't move the ball, I, I, I think this is going to be, this is going to be, I don't want to say, I'm never going to say an easy game because you know me, I always think the worst that can happen, but it would take some pretty fluky stuff or just an outright horrible day for the Niners to lose this game. I think. All right, well, let's get to our score predictions. Uh, so Zane can, can hop on out. So uh, Zane, we'll, we'll give the floor to you. Uh, you go first and uh, let us know. What do you think uh, final score of this game is going to be? So despite how what I've been saying and, and what I've been feeling, I feel like there's going to be a lot like, you know, that 2019 Minnesota divisional game that was very yeah, similar. Was that to game. So it was it was uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings and their offense, Kirk Cousins and Stefan Diggs. He was still there at that time. Adam Thielen and they they had Dalvin Cook and everybody was talking about how Minnesota could come in here and, and disrupt things and upset the 49ers. 
And the 49ers just absolutely steamrolled them, right? After a little bit of, you know, early jitters and Jimmy threw the early pick and everything, and then they just kind of just leaned on the run and it was fine, right? I think it'll be similar here. You may have some early jitters from Brock because it's in the first game, right, in the playoffs. But I think they'll settle in. They, they It may be close for a little bit, but I think in the second half, hopefully the Niners should be able to pull away. And I think that it's not going to be a high-scoring game because I don't think the weather will allow it. Plus, the, the way that these teams run the ball, it's going to be a shortened game. And I think that the, the Niners will win and they will go to the divisional playoffs and host a divisional playoff game next week. And they will win, I'm going to say uh, 27 to 17 because NC 17, right? Nice. I like it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, like I said, I think they're going to absolutely curb stop the Seahawks like they did the Vikings in in 2019. Um, you know, I think we'll have a similar game plan in terms of, of being run heavy, and I, I'll be perfectly honest. I actually expect Brock not to have jitters because that's what he's shown me so far. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't I'm not worried about Brock at all. And it, it's it is absolutely insane to me to to for me to be able to say that and genuinely believe it. Right. Like I'm not just blowing smoke. I genuinely believe that the moment is not going to be too big for him. He's not going to have any jitters. You know, people are talking about, well, Pete Carroll gets to see Brock Purdy. He's the first one to see Brock Purdy for the second time and in my head i'm like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who cares who cares again he's not doing anything that the second time you see him you can be like oh we can take this and this away and then he's got nothing because he's not he's not showing anything that says that that you know you you don't have to it's not like you can take the middle of the field away from him because he'll throw outside the numbers it's not like you could take away the checkdowns because he'll go deep right like he is just playing the position at an incredibly high level and i i i expect that to continue uh it, hopefully the rain is is not a factor um and you know i i do think i, I don't think they get over 30 uh just because of how this game's going to go again, a lot of running, a lot of, uh, you know, game clock, uh, running quickly. So, uh, I will say the 49ers win same score as in 27, but, uh, I don't think the Seahawks, uh, the Seahawks team scored more than 13. So I'm gonna say 49ers, 27 Seahawks, 13. I agree with you, Brian, in the sense that I, I don't think Purdy's going to necessarily be nervous. I, I, I think he's going to rise to the occasion. Could he make a couple of stupid throws, maybe? But uh, but I think he'll bounce back from it. And I think the Niners, from what they've shown us in the past month and a half or whatever, they score points. It's, you know, it's 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 it happens now. It's what they do. <laughs> they've been doing it for six weeks. So I think they're going to continue to do it. And I, I can see this game. I think they're going to hit thirty again. I'm going to say nice. thirty to. I'll say thirty to seventeen because Seattle gets a late touchdown. But I think it's going to be a pretty comfortable win. And I think you're going to see the same team. I think the Niners are really confident right now. I think they're really feeling themselves, um, in a good way. I don't think they're. I think the Raiders game was the scare, but I still think they have a lot of confidence. And I think they're going to come out. And I'm like I said, I'm really excited for these playoffs. And I, I think this is going to be a thirty to seventeen win. Outstanding. So, all right, Zane. We know you got to get out of here, right, buddy? All right, buddy. All right, buddy. Later. Yeah. For our last little bit here, I did want to shift gears to um, some hires that the 49ers, maybe some guys might be getting hired away, maybe not, that we've seen. We knew D'Amico Ryans was going to be a hot name for the head coaching circles. There's only five teams right now that are looking for coaches. And Peyton and Harbaugh are out there, and we didn't really expect that. So those are two names that could get hired. So hopefully maybe Ryan stays. It's a possibility, I think, just because there aren't a ton of openings. Um, would he go to a division rival like the Cardinals if McVay doesn't come back? Would, would he go to the Rams? He's already, it looks like he's already not interested in the Texans. And then the Broncos. <laughs> who, who would, um, who should be? Or who should be, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then the Colts, the Colts look like they're going to try to make a big splash. And the Broncos do too. So that those mm-hmm. could be the Harbaugh Peyton landing spots. Yeah. The Broncos did ask to talk to Ryan's, but we'll see. Maybe I'm crossing my fingers that maybe they can, they can keep him around one more year. The other names, Rand Carthon and Adam Peters, are getting looked at for GM positions. The the, tit- the Titans were looking at them. Now, um, Adam Peters withdrew his name from the Titans, from what I saw. And the Cardinals. He, both. And the Cardinals. Both Card- asked. Both oh, asked I didn't see the Peters. Cardinals even asked. Yeah. Okay. So both asked for, so Cardinals and Titans asked to interview Peters, and Peters declined. And basically so that tells, said, I'm focused, I'm focused on helping the 49ers to the playoffs. And that tells me one of two things, I, I think. Yes. The first is that, 
Peters may be next in line for the GM in San Francisco. Now, yeah. the way that could look is Lynch may get promoted. Mm-hmm. Lynch may step away at some point. Maybe he goes back to TV or whatever. But I feel like there's probably a wink and a nod or a handshake agreement in San Francisco that you're the next guy. And yeah. he should be because he's phenomenal. He, yes. Broncos miss him and he's helped the Niners immensely. And yeah. the second thing is that actually Brian Peacock tweeted it. And I was like, oh, I didn't think of this. Maybe he's tied to D'Amico. Maybe where oh. D'Amico goes, he's going to bring Peters with him. I'd never Maybe. thought of that. I thought that was a really good point. So that could be it, too, because he's definitely earned to be a GM in this league. With the way the Niners have drafted with their roster, Peters, the assistant GM, has had a huge, huge hand in that. And he was a he was one of the first people Lynch brought over, if not the first. I know he was the first. Yeah. What the first. So, yeah, um, he's going to be somebody who's very important to the team. And, and by him staying, I think there's other things at play that we'll find out now. Yeah, you know, Peters is a Bay Area native. Um, I forgot that until I, I read it again today. And so I, I don't know if he grew up a 49ers fan. I would assume so if he was a Bay Area native. So I, I think that is in play. But also, I, I agree. I think there is uh, an understanding that that the position is his. And I would imagine uh, we're talking like in a year or two at the most, right? And he, I understand the idea of for, you know, coordinators getting head coaching positions, mm-hmm. you know, assistant GMs getting GM, like there's only 32 jobs, 32 of those jobs in the NFL. Right. But not every job is equal. And being the GM of the Houston Texans versus being the mm-hmm. assistant GM of the San Francisco 49ers, Shanahan as your head coach, like, I don't like, I know that, that you want to be a GM, but, I mean, is it that appealing that you'd go to, you know, a, a dumpster fire like the Houston Texans or the Arizona Cardinals or, you know, the the Titans? They're not. But again, he's he's also he's also a West Coast guy. So maybe he doesn't even really want to go mm. to the Midwest or the East Coast. So, you know, I, I think the farthest West he's been is is Denver when he was with Denver for I think it was like 16 seasons. So he also got a ton of loyalty. Obviously, he was with that. He was with that uh, that organization for a long time. So, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I I said last offseason they need to promote Peters to GM and 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 promote Lynch to something, but Lynch may not want that, right? If we don't know what Lynch wants, you know, he he stepped out of the booth and into the GM position because he missed that competitive edge, right? Like he wanted to be a part of building something and 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 that you know feeling like you're part of that winning and he is, you know, and, and I'm not saying that he's not, but you know, perhaps he's got his fill and is ready to go back to the booth or, or, or he's got his fill and he is willing to be, you know, president of football operations as opposed to GM. Right. right? Because the other thing is as an organization, you do have to look at it and go, Hey, we love John, but, but like this team, this team specifically is what it is largely i believe because of adam peters and his scouting acumen and the job that he's done in the later rounds of the draft i mean that really is what has built this team into what they are and with the with the level of high-end talent that this team has and has to hold on to and has already paid and needs to pay right they've already paid trent they've already paid george they've already paid fred they've luckily already paid dre he's dre already is a is a steal right with that with the uh, dre greenlaw specifically with the with the contract that roquan smith just signed dre greenlaw is an absolute Mm -hmm. larceny um gotta pay bosa Uh, there was something uh on the timeline today uh a uh, a guy who hosts a Giants podcast and is also the senior editor for CBS's Fantasy Sports. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, it's got like almost 25,000 followers, but he tweeted out basically like a thread of why Brandon Ayuk is the target that he wants the Giants to to go after in terms of upgrading their their wide receiver room. And I was like, and his, his his number one reason was because the 49ers can't afford Brandon Ayuk. And I was like, I was just going to ah, say, that's not true. Gonna get rid of, yeah. And they're not going to. I'm like, that's not true. There's no way they're getting rid of Brandon Ayuk. I no. honestly think they would get rid of Debo before they got rid of Brandon Ayuk. Um, Brandon Ayuk is just scratching the surface with his first Agreed. thousand yard season. Yep. He is wide receiver one on this team. They're not getting rid of him. They're not getting rid of him. So 
uh, but they will have to pay him. Right. And uh, he uh, they'll have to pick up his fifth year option. I think this off season and then next yeah. year is, is year four and then they'll, they'll have year five and they'll work out an extension just like Nick yeah. Bosa. So and by that point too, you're probably for the people are, Saying that they can't afford him, they may not be paying Kittle at that point. They, they may right. not be playing Armstead at that right. point. Like, and not they'll, only they'll make it work. And not only that, but in 2023, they're paying their quarterback room 10.3 million dollars, and in 2024, right. they're paying it 12.3 million dollars. So yeah, so you got you a know, couple years to make. Yeah, you've the, there's and, and they have Prague Marate, who is arguably the best, one of the best cap strategists in the NFL. So uh, let's let's squash that now. The 49ers have. I, I believe have no intention of, of moving Brandon Ayuk and also aren't in position where they can't afford him either. Um, the D'Amico Ryan's thing is, is what's most, most interesting to me. And it's because uh, D'Amico Ryan's is, is in a different position than a lot of coaches and coordinators in the NFL. There aren't that many coordinators or assistant coaches who played or I'm not, assistant coaches. Yes. Coordinators who, who have played, who have played in the NFL and earned the kind of uh, salary that D'Amico Ryan said. D'Amico Ryan's was a superstar in, mm -hmm. in Houston. And then, you know, made a good amount of money in Philadelphia as well. The guy's not hurting for money. I can guarantee that. And so he can be picky, right? He's 38 years old. That's the other thing. He's 38. You know, right. he retired and then immediately became just a, was it quality control for the 49ers in 2017? So I, he can afford to be picky. And if you look across the openings right now, there aren't a ton of attractive openings. Maybe the Panthers, I think the Panthers could be a good job, but I also think the Panthers oh, yeah, are probably, I think the Panthers are probably going, uh, I think Frank Reich might end up in, in Carolina. Yeah. Um, yeah. But outside of that, the Cardinals are a dumpster fire. The Houston Texans are a dumpster fire. Denver, not sure. Uh, Indianapolis don't have a quarterback. And the mm -hmm. other thing is, who who is D'Amico going to take with him to be his offensive coordinator? Could it be Mike LaFleur, who just got fired by Robert Sala? Probably not, but maybe, right? But I don't know that I don't know that he, you know, that's the other thing is it like Baldy said, is is he ready? Does he think he's ready? And and we right. don't know that. Uh, and also the farther the 49ers go in the playoffs, the, 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 the less opportunities are going to still be there. And so I was, I was convinced that the 49ers were going to lose D'Amico this off season. I am, I, I am now 50, 50 and, and it might even a little bit lower. I think, I think the odds are that he stays more than he goes now at this point, which I never expected to say. Yeah, I don't think it's a slam dunk that it that it seemed to be maybe a few weeks ago. Not through any fault of him, just sort of the way the league the league right. is playing out. So right, uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, Brian, we got to get we got to get out of here. Huge game yeah. this weekend. Cannot wait for it. Um, I can't wait to talk about it. And hope, hopefully, it's a good result. I feel like it's going to be. So for Brian and Zane, I'm out. Later. One, two, three. Nine!